This presentation is for informational and educational purposes only and should not be relied upon as investment advice or the basis for making any investment decisions. The views and opinions expressed may not be those of UBS Financial Services, Inc. UBS Financial Services, Inc. does not verify and does not guarantee the accuracy or completeness of the information presented. The Winged and Ready Guest and UBS Financial Services are not affiliated. Hi, and welcome to Winged and Ready. I'm very excited for today's episode. I have Tracy Holland, who is here to tell us how to become a powerhouse, especially if you're a female and you're an entrepreneur. Thank you so much for being here with me today. She has successfully launched incredible businesses, specifically in the beauty space. She is the founder behind Hatch Beauty Brands that she founded in 2009. And now Tracy is so generously shifting. And just last Friday, she launched her own podcast called From Potential to Powerhouse. And that is one of the many components of an amazing platform that she's putting together to help female entrepreneurs and founders build out a community that is a successful one. And I love Tracy, that is a platform of collaboration and sharing because that is such an important element to finding your true success is being able to seek help from others and do it in a community base. I'm going to stop talking now. And I would love for you to tell me a little bit more about yourself and what you're doing with Potential to Powerhouse. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I think anytime I get to talk about women and money and empower and potential and fulfillment, that's that fires me up. So it's a nice way for me to start my Thursday. Thank you for that. Thank you. So I think, you know, the conversation is an interesting one because I think now we are comfortable as women having the conversation about power and money and potential and entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. And after spending two decades as an entrepreneur and I've built multiple businesses, the most recent one being Hatch Beauty Brands, I co-founded that 11 years ago which feels like forever ago as an entrepreneur, you kind of want to do something new every five to six years. So this, this has felt, you know, like a long, a long time, you know, the hindsight of being an entrepreneur and having financially built every business I've ever built. I've never taken equity capital. I didn't take venture capital and I I bootstrapped and then receivables and vendor Mm. terms. And then bank loan. And then I've been fortunate to qualify for SBA loans at different periods of time, which is a huge godsend. But it always felt like I was kind of out on the limb by myself. And I didn't Mm -hmm. have a lot of women to talk to about it. And so I think the conversation from potential to powerhouse is truly how she built it. And what does it take to do it? And then what would you do differently? And if you could hindsight and talk to your younger self, what would you say? (laughs) How would that, you coach? How would you coach her? That's so amazing. That's, what would you say to your younger self? Um, you know, I would say, and thankfully for because of Coach Karen, I would say, and that's a mutual coach that Diane and I share in terms of connection, who's incredible. Incredible. I would say to put down the oars, stop mm-hmm. white, stop white knuckling, that things unfold in time, that there's no there, there's only here. Mm. And that the idea that having more money is going to bring more happiness and more joy is false. Yes. And so enjoying the process, 
flourishing in every single second that you get to do what you do, even if we have to run to FedEx, right? Or even if you have to call an invo- on an invoice that's overdue, trying to find the joy in the little things is truly the process and the journey. And there's no there. There's only here. Only here. <laughs> that's, that's my big the- aha. That's a, a big aha many of us had in, in 2020, isn't it? Is learning yeah. how to be here and, and not yeah. there and seeking small milestones every day. Because as you said, when you're an entrepreneur, you're going a million miles an hour. You want to hit milestones. You want to reach points of success. But you're, you're hitting micro points of success every day when you're here today. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And the fact is, is if you're an entrepreneur, and you're really built for that, it, it comes from internal, it's like an itch. It's like, there is no overcoming that need to go create and, and then generate an income as a result of your creative creation. Mm-hmm. So it is part of who you are. And then this idea that we have to be somewhere that we're not, right? the feeling that I think I would go back and coach my younger self to let go of, because when you feel like you're not where you should be. You make short-term decisions to be somewhere you think you should be that aren't necessarily either in your best interest, that don't fulfill you, that feel like I don't have a, another choice. I have to do X. How many times do we say that to ourselves? Or we forego things that bring joy, right? So we forego working out every morning because we say we don't have time. Or we forego our vacation time because we say entrepreneurs, we can't take a vacation. There's no such thing. There's no time off. Right? Yeah. So there is these conversations that I would encourage women to allow themselves the space to just enjoy the process and know that whether you've made a hundred thousand, five hundred, a million, or over decades, hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue, the fact is is all of those same issues and problems persist. All the same questions about whether you've made it, if there's enough time, if there's enough money, all of those things can continue to come up. And so to just like really, really enjoy the moment is I love that. That's such great advice. And when I think about your advice that you're giving, it reminds me of a time not too long ago when when someone asked me to dimension out components of who I am and what's influenced my life and what's influenced my decisions and, and where I want to be. And they'd ask for a literal exercise where you took a circle and, and you made pieces of pie and, and you dimensioned it out into percentages. You know, I work in finance, everything's a, a percentage of something. But I saw that circle in front of me. And I naturally started drawing like a lollipop, like swirls, like an old fashioned swirly lollipop. And it looked more like a pinwheel. Mm. And someone looked over my shoulder and they said, I've never seen anyone do that. Like, well, I, I, every part of my life swirls together. It's not any one specific slice of pie. And some days one thing is more important than the other. And it's being able to recognize, as you said earlier, what's important now, what's important here, and what can I access today that means something to me. It doesn't always have to be neatly dimensioned. A hundred percent. And you know, all of us with COVID, it's funny because being being someone that reports to a bank now, our, you know, this business with Hatch Beauty Brands is now properly bank financed. I brought in a private equity partner about two years ago. And, you know, every year, of course, the bank comes in and says, what's your revenue forecast for the year? And it's so ironic because this is a perfect example of not 
thinking that there's a there over there that's going to be better than here. Okay. So I hand the bank and my private equity partner, my pre my pre COVID revenue forecast for the year. And I'm thinking I've been doing this for 11 years, like I could do this in my sleep. I, I know my retail partners, I know our product lines, I know our pipeline, like I, I can like really bank on exactly what's going to happen. So I flippantly said, here's the forecast. And here's our plan. And thank you very much. And it's going to be great. <laughs> 12 weeks later, it's literally like, get your seatbelts on friends, like a tsunami is coming and it's about to hit the big (laughs) giant fan. (laughs) I'll never forget. I was in Oman on a trip and my girlfriend WhatsApped me from Shanghai and she goes, Trace. And I had been unplugged for 11 days on this spiritual journey. And she WhatsApps me and says, Trace, where are you? I said, oh, I'm in Oman. I'm just heading back. I'm catching up on all my electronics. And she goes, there is a tidal wave of shit coming your way. (laughs) 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 And I'm like, what? What, what's happening? What's happening? What's happening? And she goes, this thing, this, this issue is a big issue and you need to be prepared. And by luck of the draw, because I had been through SARS and H1N1, I knew what would happen in terms of hygiene, hand hygiene, cleanliness, hand sanitizer, surface needs. I mean, certainly at that point in time in the United States, we weren't using masks, but everywhere else in the world, they They were were. most certainly. And I thought, oh my gosh. And I had a dialogue with my purchasing team at that time. And I said, what do you have on order for pumps and everything in the hand hygiene category? And they looked at it and I said, quadruple it. Literally, I know it doesn't make sense right now. We don't have the forecast to support it, but you have to make a pivot because this is coming and everything else that you have on order, all your lipsticks and eyeliners and mascaras, cancel it. Like we are not going to be in that business in the next six months. Reduce your orders and recalibrate. And it was really using gut instinct and then having lived through a situation like that before, certainly nothing like COVID, how could we have ever imagined? But our pre-revenue forecast for 2020, we made our forecast for 2020 by, I think we missed our forecast top line by like 8% or so. But the fact that we were able to shift and pivot and still make our year happen and be able to support every single employee in this business without a furlough, we didn't take PPE money. We just supported the business to the extent that we could and just stayed agile and consumer discretionary. That is more than heroic. That's amazing. It just was. And and we have this amazing team. And I think that the lesson there is, again, I could have spent the entire year in angst about would we make our, our numbers and could we make payroll and how are we going to get shipments out the door and what happens when retailers stop buying things because nobody's shopping because nobody's willing to go to stores. All of those things could have ruined my year, right? As it could have ruined everyone else in the team on the team. And, and yet it was really internally, I think, emotionally, spiritually, one of the most incredibly enriching years of my life, mm. especially with the kiddos and having time to just be in the moment and not have any distractions. And so I think we just get the benefit of looking at the positive and looking to the great bright light opportunities and making the most of it. And that's kind of how it works. And a thread that I'm hearing too, is while you 
were with your Hatch Beauty brands. You said 11 years seems like a long time, but it was going through the experience of SARS. It was going through the experience of a pandemic that didn't necessarily reach over to the US, but you had pre-experienced that. So you were able to confidently make a decision in the moment having lived through something. And I think that really speaks to what you're trying to bring to people too. I mean, you're trying to build a community where people can share experience and they can share story and they can share decisions. And that will make a tremendous difference between make or break for an entrepreneur. A hundred percent. I think, you know, the reality is it can be really lonely at the top. That, Mm -hmm. That thing, you know, especially if you're the breadwinner in your family and you're a mom and sometimes there's some judgment from the other moms who don't work and and so availability of time and are you spending enough time with your kids and are you being a good mom and how are you doing that and it's like you're almost the like you're, right you're <laughs> kind of like and how you navigate the conversation around yeah. oh you just went on this great vacation you're driving this car and you're the breadwinner. How does that work? Explain that to me. You know, it just, it can feel very lonely at times being an entrepreneur. And I think the other goal is to share some of the rawness and the realness of what the, and the courage of what it takes for some of the women on the podcast to just forge their way. Because from the outside, I think there can be this misnomer that it's all easy and it all falls into place. And yeah, she's got her act together and she's this, she's got it. And you know, I'm different than she is. And it's actually not true. We're all struggling at at various points and questioning if we're showing up as the mom we want to be, or if we're spending enough time with our children and, and, and being in the, the places that we need to be when we do. And so just sharing in the conversation that, that, that those experiences are, are amongst all of us. And mm-hmm. you could be a Sally Krachek or Christy Hefner, or you could be a start out entrepreneur. And you're some of the questioning around, is this working? Am I doing this right? Is this, am I, sh- should I pivot here? Is this the right way to go? All of us are facing some of those same questions and just appreciate so much all these women just talking openly about their experience, yes. because I think it emboldens all of us to be better. Yes. And I also love that you highlighted that sometimes the the grass is always greener or people are looking at things through a lens of, oh, it might be easier for that other person. But as a private wealth manager, I see how the effort and the dedication and the care around needing to find out what mission is, you know, what is mission to a business owner? What's the mission to their family? And really putting almost like a, a sense of governance around that so that they can be successful, not just monetarily, but emotionally. To your point, you know, reaching all of these different pinnacles is very emotionally taxing. And There's not one person out there who's been saved from that. There's not one success story out there that has been void of emotional strain and and difficult decisions. But to the degree that people can share that with each other makes a really big difference. A hundred percent. And it actually makes me better. I really feel to ask my question, myself the question, am I thinking big enough? Because mm. I was raised with parents who were both, I would say, fear-based or kind of rigid in how they 
saw their careers and slightly, I would say, leaning toward worry about taking risk. Mm-hmm. What that could mean. And I think, you know, the onus on parents is we have to support our children. And so by virtue of that, it may be just how they were thinking at that time, you know, they're raising their girls and they had responsibilities, but there was a lot of f- fear in the household. And so I always question, like, am I thinking big enough? Am I holding myself into under an expectation of what is or isn't possible? And I think the sharing of women's stories and their virtual paths of success and some of the things they've done and how they pivoted or had to take a step back to have two steps forward Mm -hmm. helps us all think bigger and more expansively because it just by virtue of some of the things that we hear, we go, oh, okay. Sally tells the story of how she was fired twice and on Mm -hmm. the front page of the Wall Street Journal and what that felt like. And how she expected the next day for her phone to ring and get three, four, five job offers. And there was like silence. She was looking at her phone like, what's happening? <laughs> Why are the Someone's calling me. <laughs> and it took six months. And she said there were points of time in which she really questioned if she was going to be okay to move to the next level. Like where, what was next? And we all have that experience. We all face some of these obstacles and, you know, it may not be another 2020 COVID year, but it could be something equally as difficult personally. How do we overcome that? What is in our, what tools are in our toolbox? What do Mm -hmm. we go, what are, what are our go-tos? Two things that you said that I, I love. One is one of my favorite words, risk. I love the R word. I think it's such a good one and that people need to use it in a positive context and construct because there's nothing better than, than taking good, healthy risks. And I think females in particular are very good at doing that, being able to measure the right risk that will benefit you in whatever way you need it to is so important. You know, I could be a, uh, I could be a little bit of a nerd and talk about risk budget and asset allocation standpoint, but I've seen that also translate. I love to sail. I, so I love navigating, you know, and sailing is a sport where taking risk is critical and you have to take a risk in order to win. So exciting. You bring up such a, a wonderful concept that take that risk and, and take it from a standpoint that's right for you. And it, you may have to drive and tack, you may have to change directions, but march forward with it. And then I also wanted to comment on your podcast with Sally. I love that she straight up wraps her Christmas gifts in brown paper bags and staples them. (laughs) Just to the point, like, how do we all hold ourselves? Like, you know what? Somebody at with her prestige is, is ready to just throw it in a bag and staple it. And, and transferability, such an important thing, the transferability of a gift. It doesn't matter what it looks like. Uh, transferability of money is an energy. So that's important too. But yeah, I love yeah. your podcast. So for all of my listeners, you want a really fun podcast to listen to, definitely listen to Potential to Powerhouse because those conversations are so meaningful. Thank you. Yeah. It's such an honor. It's so humbling to ha- hear some of these stories because, right? I mean, I said to Sally on that one, I, I think she's seventh most Forbes top seven most powerful women in the United States or something. And I said, how does that feel? <laughs> you know, like, how, how is that? How does that feel? And yet, and even though she 100% owns and, and, and um, makes so much sense when you get to know her why that awarded to her and why that accolade has been acknowledged. 
She is just wrapping her Christmas gifts, man. She's wrapping yeah. them in brown paper bags. bags. And she's like, Love you guys. Here. <laughs> Here you go. It's amazing. I, I want to pivot a little bit with you because um, I do have a lot of entrepreneurs and business owners that listen and, and people are really dialed into getting the capital that they need. Bootstrapping was important for you. And that's that's a mission that you went on. But there are some statistics that are just so important. One that you had highlighted to me that only one in five firms with revenues. So 20% of firms with revenues over $1 million is women owned. Mm-hmm. And that is a construct that concretely needs to be changed. So thank you for all that you're doing in, in changing that. And then another one that I was looking at from um, a data source called PitchBook earlier this week was what happened in 2020. And I, I was saddened to see that while the mix shift of valuations, so the mixed and male-owned businesses, those valuations went up, they did increase, all the female-founded businesses, all of their, their valuations were flat. They didn't go up. And, you know, there's a Harvard Business Review article that talks about the importance of pitch and the importance of story and how women, when they are getting excited, can be viewed as emotional. Whereas when men are talking about their growth and their future, they're viewed as having potential. Can you unwrap that? Since we're talking about wrapping, can you unwrap that a little bit for me and, and, and how you hope to help female founders? I have chills right now, Gooskin. I'm going to tell you something that was just told to me last week. Two women had incredible media careers are starting a media business. They've already, through proof of concept, so they've already been successful there. They're revenue-based, raising 20 million, doing the rounds, true story. One of the two men, both very successful, had long marriages, one is 49, one's 51. In the, the pitch meeting, one of the men who they were pitching to turned to one of them and said, so I see you're divorced. Do you think you would be divorced if you weren't so ambitious? And she said, I'm sorry, I don't understand the question. <laughs> and she Wait. said, I don't... I, and he said, well, I just wondered, because you're both divorced, I wonder if you think you would be divorced if you weren't so ambitious. And so this is a well-known Wall Street private equity shop, you know, and they called me after and I said, how's the money raise going? And I, th- thankfully, they're close to almost 20 million in raise. And um, they have some very prominent people involved on their board and well-known people that you would know. And so they've been successful. But I said, how did you respond? How did you answer the question? And she said, I didn't know what to say, except she said, I asked him, would you be asking me that if I were a man? And I said, and how did he take that? And she said, well, he paused and he said, probably not. And she said, thank you for asking me what was on everyone's mind in the room, because the fact that you had the courage to even ask the question I don't think I would still be married. And here's why I got married at 19. He was a great guy for the first 20 years. We outgrew the relationship. I'm super happy. I have three beautiful children and I've moved on. So I thought she handled it really graciously. Mm. And I was really blown away that literally in 2021, February of 21, this question was asked in the middle of her pitch. And when you look at the list of subscribers, 
and you see some of the prominent names, some ball players, some very well-known successful business people involved. So they've all endorsed by writing checks, right? So we all know that people who trust people they like and know, and people write checks to people they like and know. And when one person says yes, then other people subscribe. That's how money raising works. It's super fundamental. It goes back to like ancient tribal times when we were trading chickens and hens and (laughs) right. People do business with people they like and know and trust. And then it obviously helps when the tribe surrounds that person and starts writing checks. So that's the fundamental piece. But I, I think it's an important example of a conversation that that happened in the middle of the pitch. And luckily, he felt comfortable enough to ask the question, and she felt comfortable enough in her own skin to answer it. But I think as as women, as we raise capital, it takes money to make money. I don't care what people say. I've bootstrapped every business. And the only reason I was able to get us to the 70 million without a single penny in investment dollars on the year four, I think it was, was because we had vendor terms that were favorable, like 120 day vendor terms. And I was able to negotiate with retailers short pays because we we said we're small women owned business and minority owned business and we need help. So people paid us net 15 and net 30 and they paid us on time and in full. That made a huge difference. Like without that, we couldn't have done it. Then we got an SBA loan. Then I got a small working capital line, which is an asset based lending line. Mm-hmm. Where in essence, you know, can increase that if you pay your bills on time. And we had a cash lockbox. We went through the whole thing. So, you know, a lot of sleepless nights around making cash flow work. You have to know cash flow better than your treasurer, your right. controller. You can't allow other people to run that. You have to be very candid with your cash situation. But it doesn't solve the bigger issue that you mentioned, which is only 4.2% of women ever exceed women-owned businesses, ever exceed the million-dollar revenue mark per year. So of the 13 million businesses that are currently owned and run in the United States, um, which I think 47% of businesses are now run or owned by women, my understanding is that really only about four, maybe it's now 5%, 4.9% actually exceed the million-dollar revenue mark per year mm. of revenue. And I think it's all about 2.9% of women own run, women run businesses um, receive VC investment funds. Yeah. 2%. That's right. So out of almost nearly $2 trillion in dry powder. Right. Right. But to then be invested right now. That example I just gave you of a, pr- of a post revenue based business with a fleshed out business plan with all of the data marks, all of the KPIs met with four years of experience in history run by two media executive women, super powerful, smart, are getting the reality is I love the transparency, but how many of those situations are not transparent and they're not getting yeah. funded? And also how many of those situations does someone not know how to react to them because they haven't been coached up on it or they don't have the community or the experience to be able, because you said they're media executives. So that was an executive response. That was an executive dealing with another executive. It's a totally different story when you have an entrepreneur who might be a millennial that was working in a corporate life and they left that to start, you know, follow their dreams or pursue their passions. They don't have that executive experience. So really potential to powerhouse is bringing that executive experience to people that they may not otherwise have. Totally. And 
also saying, hey, um, this happens, right? right. Because <laughs> when going back to our original conversation, and it can be lonely at the top, there are a lot of times where I walk out of rooms and I scratch my head. I'm like, did I imagine that? Is this happening? How would I handle this? Who should I call? Luckily, at this stage of the game, I have a hot list of 10 to 20, you know, different people I like, trust and respect to call and say, hey, this happened. How would you handle it? But you're starting out and you're building a business. You don't have that Rolodex. Right. And so how do we help women find a place in which they can come and feel connected and secure and, and held and safe? to have these conversations. Absolutely. My, my broken record line and winged and ready is telling people to get a team around them. That is Mm. one that they can trust one that is strong to not be afraid to ask questions, call on advisors that, you know, for free advice and informationals don't go it alone because the best advice, advice. There's so many people out there who want to help. And I say that too. Get your banker, get your lawyer, get your accountant on speed dial, pick them out. Even if you're in month one of starting your business, ask people, ask around and get the best lawyer, best accountant and best and best um, legal advice that you are accountant, legal and bank. So I had a, I started out with a small community bank mm-hmm. referred to me by Kirsten Green, who runs Forerunner Ventures out of San Francisco. She invests in a lot of entrepreneurs. I called her and I said, if you had a bank as an entrepreneur to recommend that would grow with your business, who is it? And I picked up the phone. It took her 10 minutes. She said, oh, you definitely should call XYZ at this this person at this bank. And I called that person. This is 11 years ago. We're still friends. I said, hey, I was introduced to you by Kirsten Green. And I understand you're the guy to talk to. And he goes, well, let me drive over and meet you. So he did. (laughs) Now we have eyeball to eyeball contact. That's half the battle. Why? People do business with people they like, trust, and respect. People go back to the cave times, right? They're trading their chickens. He's in my my four walls. He wants to give me a chicken. I'll take it. (laughs) (laughs) It's chicken power. I like it. I'll take it. I'll take your chicken. No, it's so true. It's, and I encourage people all the time. And of course I will have all of your information included with this podcast. So people can figure out how to tap into the benefits of potential to powerhouse. But I tell people all the time, you may be an entrepreneur, you may not be ready to be my client, but I will help you find your team and I will be high-fiving you along the way. And five Mm -hmm. years from now, when you are my client, it's going to be a celebration between friends because we already know each other. Yes. Done. And that's what you bam, need to bam. do. Yeah, exactly. Hands up. We're fist bumping each other through our iPads, folks. <laughs> <laughs> well, are there any questions I'm not asking you that you would really love to share as we're winding down? Because I want to make sure that all of these powerful points are, are brought to life. Mm, I don't think so. I mean... I really just encourage anyone listening who's sitting on the fence and saying, can I do this to absolutely step into the one life that we get? This is it to embrace it and to know that none of us get up and say, we're totally going to get this and don't worry. And it's, we just figure it out. It's a day by day thing. It's like, if you're listening and, it's, and you're saying, 
if you've had the experience of saying, I want to have a child, but I'm not ready. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough this. I don't, you know, there's like never it's good time to have a child. It's never like, it's never a perfect time. I promise you. It's like never a perfect time to get a puppy or you know what I mean? Like you just bring it into your life. It's a blessing. It will unfold. It all works out. Child gets bathed, fed and diapered. It somehow raises itself. (laughs) It's a miracle. (laughs) The whole thing keeps going. Everyone has time. Everyone has money. Everyone has the flow and it just works. Yeah. You just have to trust that it'll be okay and that you need to follow what feels right in your gut. You brought up your gut instincts before. And I think that's so important tapping into that because it is all a form, whatever your belief system is, it is all a form of energy or spirituality and you need to be willing to go with that. Yeah. Thank you, Diane. I appreciate your time. No, thank you so much for being on Winged and Ready. This was so much fun. And hopefully we can have a conversation in a year from now and talk about all the success stories as a result, result from Potential to Powerhouse. Thank you. Thank you. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients, UBS Financial Services, Inc. offers both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. It is important that clients understand the ways in which we conduct business and that they carefully read the agreements and disclosures that we provide to them about the products or services we offer. For more information, visit our website at ubs.com forward slash working with us. UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG, member FINRA SIPC.